something. Well, good morning again, everyone. My name is Kevin Sanders, and it is my joy to serve here as pastor and to be amongst you all, my friends, my family, and people I haven't even met yet. What a, what a gift it is to be here together. And like I said with the kids, it's, it's Christmas season. You know this. I know this. You've felt this. You're aware of this. But a question for you. Have you noticed that happiness really is not a built-in given when it comes to the holidays? Have you experienced that yet this season? A little bit? I know some of you have. I know some of you very raw, in a raw way, have experienced that. I want to help bring this to light from my own experience as a very young kid. Okay, this was before I was mature and wise and all these things, right? I'll laugh. You're not supposed to laugh then. <laughs> yeah, I'm still working on it. Okay, so think about this. When I was a kid, you wait forever for Christmas. We've talked about that before. You remember that you wait forever for Christmas to come around. Well, it finally comes close, and for us, our family tradition was every Christmas Eve we would drive to my grandma's house, which was great. We loved going there and celebrating together. Problem was, as a young kid, uh, she lived in St. Joe, and St. Joe may as well be across the country for how long of a drive that is when you are a little kid, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I may not be that old, but I'm old enough to be of the age where we really didn't have anything to do in the car. We had like Mad Libs, I guess, but there wasn't much to do in the car. And so you just kind of sit there. I remember sitting in the back of the Pontiac 6000 station wagon, and my entertainment was simply waving to the drivers behind me because it's one of those unsafe things, right? And so that was my entertainment. It took forever. So about three days later, we make it to St. Joe at last. And we celebrate with grandma and cousins, and we have a, a festive, wonderful time. It's great. Then you have to drive back, and it's dark. You can't do anything there in the headlights. When you're in the back, they hurt. Let me tell you, you're taking hits the whole way home. And, you know, you're looking for Rudolph. You see him like eight times. You're like, how are there so many Rudolphs? Santa's making quick work, right? And you finally, you finally get home. You try to sleep, and you can't sleep because Christmas is the next day. And you're sitting there miserable because all you want to do is sleep, but you can't will yourself to sleep. It doesn't work. Finally, at some point, it happens, right? You fall asleep. And you wake up, and you're excited. Christmas is finally here. But then my parents always made us wait at the top of the steps for no particular reason. We just had to sit there forever. Forever. As a kid, you're like, Santa already came and did his work. What are you doing down there? I don't know. And then finally we get to go, and it's a very joyous, exciting time. You know, you're a kid, so gifts are like your life, right? That's just what you think and, and, and all that. And so you open your gifts, you're very happy, all that stuff. There's this happiness there, there's a happiness there. But a little while later in the day, you're sitting around, you're looking at your stash, and you're like, this is good. But then you see your brother's stash, and you're like, that seems better. And then you ask your parents, where do I rank? I'm kidding. It's not that. I looked internally, I said, I think I missed it when I was filling out my list. I should have asked for what my brother asked for, because that's the good stuff. If I had that, that would make me happy, right? And so, you know, you're going through that, and then you get to the Christmas dinner, and you think it's Christmas dinner. So this is going to be something I really like, like spaghetti and meatballs, or pizza, right? Or even a pizza roll for Christmas, right? You get excited, and you sit down to this elegant, fancy, I guess beautiful-looking meal with all the chinaware and silver and all this. And I'm like, what is this? And you get through it, and you realize happiness is relatively fleeting. 
Let's shift to the perspective for a second to a parent. An adult is happy about Christmas and everything planned, and then you have to deal with an ungrateful, whining, stuck-up kid (laughs) through it all. That's just a silly example to show how fleeting this idea of happiness can be. We can stand in our own way. Now, my parents actually gave me great Christmases. That was, you know, just from a kid's perspective. But I want us to think about how this is the jolliest season, but it can be, for many of us, the hardest. I mean, that was a silly example. You know the real-life examples. There are spots that are empty this year. There are relationships that are not what they were this year. There are hardships that weren't present this year. Our happiness, we know, it will wax and it will wane, but we are here to proclaim that our joy may still remain. Because today we do proclaim that our joy is found in Jesus Christ, the love that came down at Christmas. And that's what we profess, and that's what we long to believe together today. We're in our series, Love Came Down. It's our Advent series. As we're looking at this particular love that is found in Christ alone. So we're looking at the Christmas account through the lens of 1 Corinthians 13, and today we're in verses 6 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to to open up to 1 Corinthians 13. We're in 6 and 7. It'll also be on the screen as we now go to God's Word. Hear the good news for us today. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. As we've talked about love, we are reminding ourselves every single week that love finds its being, its definitions, and its perfections in Jesus Christ. He is the definition, the founder. He is love. And so we know he's love, and the love we read about in this passage is the love of God, that is most vividly on display for us in Jesus Christ. And when we read that love does not delight in evil, we profess that God does not delight in evil. True love does not delight in evil. Look at what it says in Psalm 5. For you are not a God who delights in, what does that say? Wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. So not only does he not delight in evil, but because he is God, nothing he ever does or says is evil. We, we know this, right? This makes sense. The Holy One stands in complete opposition to evil. We know this, but let's not miss the important thread of this, despite its kind of simplicity. And that's this. God loves you as equally as he hates sin. And what is revealed at Christmas is that love does not delight in evil, but he sends his son to save us from it. This is the truth with which true love rejoices. It was revealed to the shepherds as we read with the kids, we read again here that the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Rejoice. Rejoice, for love has come down. 
the truth of the gospel is announced with great joy as the shepherds are told of the Savior's birth. Love in the form of Jesus is the embodiment of the long-awaited truth that brings joy to the world. So we rejoice with this truth, as our 1 Corinthians passage tells us. The truth that is Jesus came to save us. This is the central truth that is worth rejoicing in this Christmas. It's articulated well in 1 John. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason he appeared was to right all of this. This is why we can rejoice. This is why we can rejoice, because we've come to believe that this is the truth. Evil and sin has its end. But the one born in a manger will reign forever. This is the truth that leads to joy. And this is important for us, because everywhere we look, we can see how we replace the truth of God with the lies of this world. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when we replace the truth with these lies, we do what love does not. And that is delight in evil. Now, like we talked about last week, none of us are going to walk around saying, yes, I delight in evil. That's not really who we are. We don't say we're going to delight in evil. But when we sin, when we take pleasure in things that are not God-honoring and of God, we are doing just that. We are taking pleasure in things that are, stand against God. We are delighting in evil. Consider this quote from Pastor Sinclair Ferguson. The message of Christmas is that Jesus came to a human race that had exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That's found in Romans 1. What's the lie? Genesis 3 explains the lie about God's word and character, the lie that he is not wholly good and kind, and that his word is not to be trusted. In Jesus, God has exposed that lie for what it is. He gave a son for us. He thus shows his love for us, Romans 5. In his coming, not only did the righteous die for the unrighteous, but the truth conquered the lie. When we see this, we understand why it is that love rejoices with the truth. It is not simply a matter of wanting to tell the truth. It is that we have come to know the truth, and it has set us free. We love the truth, and we become like what we love better. We become like the one we love. That is good news for us today. And so the question for all of us is this. What lies of the world have we been believing this Christmas season? How have we replaced his truth with the lies of the world? Asked a different way, what is standing in the way of you being able to rejoice with the truth? To rejoice, it's kind of the action of joy, right? It is to, to, to uh, it's like the verb of joy. It is to practice and embody and experience joy, to rejoice. So a deeper question would you say your faith is a rejoicing faith? Do you allow joy to fuel your faith? See, the good news of great joy for us today is that Christ is born, and Christ has died, and Christ has risen, 
and Christ will come again. This is good news for all of us. So the weariness within us, we can still rejoice. Whatever it is you are facing in the weariness of this world, surrounded by evil, we may still rejoice in the truth of Jesus. He is not God out there. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. He is the love that came down so we can rejoice. And what we see is that this true love, he does what seems impossible. He does this all the time. That's God. He does what seems impossible. But look at what it says in our passage. The second half of our passage has four, it has a list of four always statements of what love does. Always. When we humans deal in always, we get in trouble. All right, like, you know this. Like, if you say to someone, you're always distracted, they're probably going to say to you, I'm paying attention right now. Not always. Or maybe you get in a little fight, a little argument, right? And you say, you always do that. Whatever that is, right? Fill in the blank. Whatever popped in your head, you're like, oh no, right? You always do that. And they will, without a doubt, point out that one time 12 years and five months ago where they absolutely did not do that, right? We won't talk about keeping records of wrongs either. But the flip of it, think of it this way. The positive side of always will sometimes say, hey, you're always, always so reliable, You have never let me down, and you never will. You are always so reliable, which is great until that person lets us down. And then we're like, hey, you're not supposed to. You always are so reliable. Then we go to never. But with humans, we—always doesn't really often mean always with us, right? But with God, always means always. And look at what this passage tells us about what he always does. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. Let's talk about how God, his love, always protects. What that means is that God is the ultimate offensive line. Football fans, you know what I'm talking about. No one's getting to you. God always protects. Christmas shows us of God's protective love and sending his son into the world. God provides a haven for humanity. He provides a savior who protects us from the power of sin and death. Christmas reminds us that God's love is a shield that guards and shelters us in every circumstance. Look at what the psalmist says. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present, that is God with us, Emmanuel, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, he will not, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we will not fear for our God and his always protecting love is with us. God is our mighty fortress. He is our refuge. He is our strength. Almighty God reigns in complete control with supreme power in his majesty and his mercy and his might. He protects his beloved children. And not just sometimes, but what? Always. 
see, the, the, we get a, a more, an even more complete view of God's protection when we start to realize that the word that is rendered as protect, it also carries the meaning of bear. Bear, and I mean, I mean to, to bear with. See, love bears all things. It carries all things. It holds all things. And as we look at this love that is found in Jesus, we see he does indeed bear all things. For love always perseveres. That's the last one on our always list. He bore the cross for us. He bore all our sin and shame for us so that we might have life. God's enduring love perseveres through every trial leading to the redemption of humanity. And here on this earth we know he bears that heavy yoke as he travels through all of life's up and downs, bearing uh, with us, bearing our sins and our griefs that are too great to bear. You know, I, I particularly love that on this third Sunday of Advent, as we hone in on joy, that we are also offering this Christmas comforts service. And as I mentioned before, it seems that those two are not compatible, but they absolutely are. Because outside of Jesus, we don't have joy. We only have the trouble that this world will bring. But because of Jesus, in every circumstance, we have a joy that persists. And so what that means is we can enter into our grief knowing that God is there with us, and he will meet us, and he can bring us in and through these dark valleys of life with the assurance and the hope that is secured in the goodness of our Lord. See, through this path of life, it is hard, but through it all, God's loving presence is with us. He bears us. He carries us. His yoke is heavy, and his burden is light something like that. Think about this. We know hardships still come our way. Our kids will still need band-aids. We will suffer losses. Evil will strike and seek to break us down, but our loving Savior will carry us through, and he will never give up on us. He will bear with us. He will protect us through it all. He will lead us into life everlasting with him. This is what it means that love protects and love perseveres. He'll never give up on you. Ever, ever, ever. He will never give up on you. You cannot sin your way out of his grace, and you cannot outrun his love. You cannot wear him down. You give your life to Jesus. You surrender to him. You say, I'm sinful, God, and you saved me. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. Then you come under his care and his protection as his provision forever and always, and nothing will ever take that away. And knowing this, living in this rejoicing truth, we can trust him. We can absolutely trust him. For true love always trusts. We see this in Jesus Christ. He trusted his father. He trusted the plan throughout his entire life. Jesus trusted the father when he sent him to be born as a human baby for the divine to also become human 
He trusted the father when he put him in the care of this young couple. And he willingly went to the cross. He trusted him. As the weight of reality rested upon Jesus in the garden before enduring the cross, it distressed him to the point of sweating blood. We see Jesus still trusted God and his perfect plan because love always trusts. Look at what it says in Matthew. Going a little further, Jesus fell on his face to the ground. He prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And then we see the trust. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Translation, I trust you. I trust you. Love always trusts. And he did all of this before we ever turned toward him. So we can trust him. He is here right now. He is our love. And love bears all things. Love perseveres. Love always trusts. We just look to Jesus. He stepped willingly toward the pain and the sorrow of this world to make a way for you and for me. And he walks willingly with you through your pain and your sorrow. We can trust God. His track record is without blemish. His love for you is without end. And so in all things, we can trust him. And as we put our trust in him, we find that like him, we have a hope that endures all things. Love always hopes. There's no darkness that can ever snuff out the light of the world that arrived at Christmas. His light shines forevermore. Gospel of John says that the word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Is that good news? Is that good news? The light of the world shines. It's been about a month and a half since I've mentioned Lord of the Rings. And I wasn't going to, but it fits really well. So for those of you who don't care, just hang in there with me because the illustration sticks, okay? I promise. In The Lord of the Rings, Gondor has a lot of pride, and they need help. Through Gandalf's machinations, they light a beacon that sends to another beacon, to another lit beacon, to another lit beacon, all the way to the people of Rohan, okay? Rohan has a lot of pride, too, and some stuff between the two. But Aragorn looks expectantly with hope for the beacon to be lit, because that is the sign that they are requesting our help, and they need aid. He sees the beacon lit. The king decides to answer the call. And Gondor, in their deepest moment of need, when they have, have, have no hope of being saved, that light is still lit. And what do we see arrive but Rohan when they least expected it? And they come to their aid and they save the people of Gondor, really securing the salvation, if you will, for the illustration of mankind in Middle-earth. And you see what I am saying. The light represents the hope. The light of the world represents a hope. That help is coming. That help is already here. 
that we are saved and we are secured and nothing can ever take that away. The beacon has been lit and it will never go out. We have a forever hope for the light of the world came down at Christmas. This love that always perseveres, this love that always trusts, this love that always protects. And through his life, Jesus brought this light to everyone. He rose up from the darkness of death into the light of life and his journey from cradle to the empty tomb. And so we have an everlasting hope. For the love of God is the love that he has for you. It does not delight in evil. It always rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. That's our God. So what darkness is surrounding you this Christmas season? How might you draw your attention to this never-ending, this never-fading light of Christ? How can you reflect the light of Christ then that you have found, that you have seen, that is warming your soul, that you know is always shining? How can you take that light and then shine it into someone who's in the darkness near you? Because that's what Christmas is about. The light that is the love of Christ shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. As long as there's light, there is hope. And it is my joy to tell you today that God's light will shine forevermore. He is the light of the world. His light will shine forevermore. Praise be to God. The light of the world has come. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. People of God, let's pray. Thank you, God, that your love is without end, that it always hopes, it always perseveres, it always trusts, it always protects. Thank you, Lord, that you do not rejoice or delight in evil, but you rejoice with the truth, and your truth has set us free. So, Father God, I pray that the light that is within us, that was promised, that you brought with you to give us, that it shines brightly. Through your Spirit, give us eyes to fix on you. And in the darkness that surrounds us, give us the guide to see your light that will bring us through. Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for guiding us, for never giving up on us. We open our hearts now to you, God, and say, have your way. For we long to trust you because we know you always trust. We say, direct us, God, knowing that you will persevere with us. And when trial and hardship come, we will continue to hope in the joy that we know is present in Christmas, where the light of the world came. Nothing will ever quench it. Thank you, Lord. Pray this all in Jesus' name. All God's people say, Amen.